So hope all is well. How are we, Bethlehem Church? We're so glad you're with us. Hey, y'all never, I'm going to start like that every time. This is the best thing ever. Uh, if you're busy with us, man, congrats to all those baptized across all of our campuses. OC211, we're one church, many locations, one house, many rooms. It means there's a whole lot of other people uh, at other campuses as well right now. And so we're glad uh, you're with us as well. And we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Our church as a corporate body has taken a step into that. We're uh, in week two of that. And so many of you have chosen in this beginning of new year to journey with us. And so as you do that, God meets with us and, and we just are expected today. And it's cold and you came to church. There's got to be an award for that. If, uh, in, in fact, look at the person right or left and say, God's got something for you right quick. Do that. God's got something for you. By show of hands, either now as your kids are young uh, or when your kids were young, you ever coached a little league team with your son or daughter, coached a little league team. By show of hands across our campuses, you have been in the dugout, you've been on the sidelines, you paid your due, you've done the things. I did that for uh, my kids when they were little. I uh, always enjoyed it. As they've gotten older, obviously, once they got to the point where you have to have a little bit of a game plan and strategy, I bowed out and became their number one cheerleader. When it was put the ball in the goal, tackle the guy running, hit the ball, I could do that. When it came to you actually had a plan, I'm out, right? I'm out. But once, one of my favorite things about coaching little kids is their naivety. It's not their pride and their arrogance. It's like they're naive. And what I love, especially when my kids were little, and maybe the teams I coached, I don't know what it was, but they just were convinced they were good. Before we ever played a game, before we ever got on the field, before we ever got on the court, they were convinced we're going to win every game. We're the greatest team that's ever been assembled by God in the world. I mean, he has put us together for such a time as this, and we're going to dominate. They just believe that. Again, it wasn't arrogance, it was just naivety. They didn't know what they didn't know. And then after the first game, especially if it was a team I was coaching, they started going, huh, maybe I'm not the next Tom Brady. Maybe I'm not the next Steph Curry. Maybe I'm not the next Ronald Acuna. And they figured things out. Wait a second, there's other people out there. And that normally came after they got what we call in the business a good old-fashioned beatdown. You know what I mean? And they were like, wait a second, maybe we're not as great as we thought. There's a simple line I, I tell myself again and again. I think it has everything to do with the conversation on prayer. Is sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you know. All right, that's not in your notes. You don't have to write that down. It's not the best grammar, but it makes sense. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. One of the gifts of my life is before I became the pastor here, which is years ago now, I served under the pastor, under a pastor who, who, who I learned from, who prayed differently than I'd ever been around. He was a guy, he was a guy who prayed uh, not to a, he didn't just teach about a big God, he prayed believing God was big. He didn't just talk about a, a God who could do miracles, he prayed to God believing that he could do the miraculous and trusting whether he did or not. He didn't talk about a God who was your heavenly father. He actually prayed in a way that he believed God was in tune with every part of his life. And that area, that time in my life was a gift because up until that point, I, I was a kid with the religious roots and been around the church, and I knew in my head what prayer was. I knew in my mouth how to talk about prayer, but there was a disconnect in my heart. There's a reason for it, and I'll come back to that at the end. 
But sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you know. And the gift of that season wasn't Jason, God going, Jason, if you really were a good Christian, and if you really loved me, then you would pray more like him, or you'd pray better, or you'd pray harder, or you'd pray longer. That was not the gift. The gift was the Holy Spirit saying, Jason, I have more for you And I want more for you. I want you to take the next step. And that always comes the next step through prayer. It was the invitation. And what we hope is that what you've experienced the last few weeks. I've done a deep dive into prayers. This is not a pray harder, pray stronger, pray longer. If you really love Jesus, you better feel bad if you don't pray good enough. This is more about an invitation maybe to experiencing God in a way you never have wherever you're at that you feel invited In fact, here's the way I would say it, and I want to kind of get into three realities that I've experienced, three things I think that can encourage all of us in this journey of prayer. And here's what I want you to put down. Prayer is either understood as a religious ritual for God or engaging in a real relationship with God. And only you can answer your experience of that. It's me just putting layman's terms to how most people think of or interact with prayer. We either see it as a religious ritual, something we do for God, what good Christians do and what we should do, or engaging in a real relationship with God. One, as you're taking notes across our campuses, is about checking the box. One is about doing your duty. One is about performing your assignment, right? Boom, I'm a Christian and Christians pray at least sometimes, and so I pray, and it's really true. Other is about having a conversation with someone you love and that you're convinced loves you. It's two different postures. One is about saying the right thing the right way and the right time and knowing enough things and making sure it sounds good. The other is about just sharing your heart. Right? Prayer has never meant to be a, a task to accomplish, church. Prayer has never been meant to be a task to accomplish. It's an invitation to enjoy. Only you can answer how you interact with prayer. I've been married for 22 years now, best 22 years of my wife's life. I mean, she's just, you know, <laughs> she, she's in here and she's nodding her head going, oh, gosh, right? And this isn't a talk on marriage, but let me give you a little marriage advice. Real quick, not a full talk on marriage, but let me give you a little marriage advice. A marriage only works if there's continual communication. Somebody said amen. I don't know if they agree with that or they're saying that to the person next to them, right? (laughs) Right? It only works if there is continual. Now, let me say this to my millennial Gen Z. I mean, everybody. What I mean by communication is not we are texting our spouse from another room how we feel after an argument we've just had. Like, it gets quiet because, like, some of you are like, really? No, that's the thing. Like, we're going to text how we feel and how we talk as grown adults and throw an emoji on the end so everything's good. <laughs> Look at me. You're going to end up in the office talking to me if you keep doing that. <laughs> that's not what I mean. Some of you are like, well, that's just how we communicate. That's, uh, okay, whatever. What I'm talking about is the idea that we, that we talk. We talk because we want to talk. I love my wife. There's some days, listen to me, we talk more than other days. And, and I don't think a lot about the mechanics of how I talk to her, like, unless I'm in trouble or forgotten something. You know, most of the time it's like, we just talk. I don't think I'm going to say this there, I'm going to say this then, I'm going to emphasize this, I'm going to leave this out. No, we just talk. And what I do know is this, 
If we aren't talking regularly, it doesn't mean we're not married. It just means our relationship isn't what it could be. Right? Can I tell you why it's not difficult to talk to my wife? I love her, and I am convinced she loves me. Friends, you are the only person who can answer, answer this. How do you understand conversation or prayer with God? Most people, it lives right here. They just won't say that. Most people, it lives right here. And let's take it a step further because sometimes there's a difference between talking to the big man. Let me talk to you dudes for a second. There's a difference talking the big man upstairs or your father who actually loves you in heaven. There's a difference in that conversation. In fact, Nancy Meyer, here's how she says it in her book on prayer. Super helpful. It's not in your notes, just me talking. Who one believes to be God is most accurately revealed, not in any credo, which means belief statement. Christians in our country, they think, if I say I believe these certain things, that's mean I'm a Christian. And oftentimes they'll say they believe these things. There's no difference in their life because there's no spirit, right? So the, the idea is, it's not in how, oh, this is what I believe. No, you want to know what you think about God and how you see God. It's in how you speak to God when no one else is listening. You want to know what you think about God, how you view God. It's how you talk to him when no one else is listening. That's called prayer. When you utter the words, dear God, what's the expression on the divine face you're exchanging glances with? What's going through God's mind? What's God's mood? What do you mean, Jason? Think, it's just, again, you can answer this. Dear God, sorry to bother you. <laughs> dear God, I know you're really busy, but. Dear God, I know I haven't stopped by in a while, but here I am. And some of us is like, dear God, I know this by, by this time you've had it with my broken promises. Church, listen to me. The image uh, on the other side of dear God is often the perplexity of our praying. Why is praying hard? Because the image or the lack of image we have on the other side of who we're praying to. And Jesus knew this. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 11. This is also in Matthew 6, but go to Luke 11. And Jesus knew that the image of God was the most difficult thing for people to get their head around. And when Jesus comes on the scene, the disciples look at him and go, teach us how to pray. I want you to lean in. Not because they didn't know what prayer was. Prayer preceded Jesus. You know that, don't you? <laughs> like Jesus didn't come on, let me tell you this thing about how to talk. No, prayer preceded Jesus all through the Old Testament. Prayers of the prophets, right? Prayers of men and women. Prayers through the Psalms. They knew what prayer was, talking to God. But the way in which Jesus prayed, not out of religious performance, but he would pull away to be with his heavenly Father. The way Jesus prayed, the way he, they never heard it, so the disciples were like, hey, we know about prayer. Teach us how you pray. There's something different by how you pray. And all of us, whether your faith journey, wherever it's at, know this. I'm not going to go into the whole Lord's Prayer. We'll come back to that later in the series. But here's what I want to say. Here's how he started. Here's how he started. Everybody in this room knows this. Here, how do you pray Jesus? What makes it different? And he went right at our image of God. And here's what he says. You know, on the count of three with me, our. Now let's say it like it's not 15 degrees outside. <laughs> One, two, three, our Father. I want you to pause. If there's a position in prayer, if there's an invitation I can give you that's simple as can be, but this is everything, the most important discovery in life and in prayer you're ever going to make is the love the Father has for you. 
And by discovery, it's not just a truth I can teach you. You've got to step into that. I can't make you. The most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Passion and power flow, right? Passion and power flow from the discovery that the one who created you actually likes you, isn't scowling at you and is on your side. Let me say that again. If the one who created you actually likes you, is your heavenly father, is not the big man upstairs who's distant, right? We're not some kind of random servant throwing up Hail Marys to a God up there somewhere hoping he hears it. We're not a slave to chance, right? Just saying random things, hoping for a little divine intervention. My friends, if you are in Christ, you are a beloved son and daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right? Pray from the position of a beloved child talking to a proud father. That's the invitation. And let me tell you why that's hard for some of us. I'm going to say this. This is not good grammar, but it's really good theology. This is difficult for us because we had crappy dads. Did he say crappy? Right? It's Greek. Go look it up. It'll help you out, man. <laughs> he, you had a crappy dad. You did. Right? I know some of you dudes in the South, we're going to take up for my dad. You know, well, I'm not telling your dad's a bad dude. I'm saying he was bad at being a dad sometimes. Right? And so some of us, it's like a, a father who loves us. I don't, here's what I'm saying. If you, have a, if you had a hard dad, a tough dad, so the idea of a father who loves you is difficult. Like, I get it. I understand. Here's what I'm saying. But you had a picture of what you wish your dad was like. Your heavenly father's 10 times better, 100 times better, 1,000 times better. Better. Let me give you a little summary of these 66 books. 66 books? I thought there was one book. 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament comprised of what we call the Bible. I got good news and I got bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that you are loved. Here's a summary of this. The good news is that you are loved. You are loved right this very minute without qualification or restriction. You are loved unconditionally for who you are, and you are loved in a way you can't lose. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news, and this teaches all about us in a broken world, you're going to find that hard to experience and hard to believe. Your instincts every day is to prove your own lovableness, to point at something that makes you worthy and acceptable. You will try and try and try to become in your own eyes what you already are in God's eyes. Man, he's talking. The good news is called grace. The bad news is called the stain of sin. Church, we are invited to a place of grace where we pray to a God who loves us and we're not trying to earn his love. Right? That's what Jesus said. When Jesus said, our Father, here's what he was saying to the disciples. Guys, he's my dad, and if you're with me, he's your dad too. He's my Father. And if you're with me, you can talk to him just like me. He's my father. So that's the position. But here's the pressure. Go to Luke 11, and here's where we find a dilemma. Jesus tells a parable right after the Lord's Prayer. And most people miss it. A parable is a little short story, right, kind of talking about how the kingdom works. And I want you to see this. Luke 11, he tells this parable. He says, here's how to pray. Here's the nature of prayer's persistence. I want you to see it. Uh, it's verse 5, and he said this, Which of you who has a friend 
will go to him at midnight. So Jesus kind of tells the story after he teaches them what the Lord's Prayer is. He goes, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet because of, here's this word, we'll talk about it in a second. Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Listen, church, you got to press in here. Jesus tells this story, and it's kind of a peculiar story. It's a story about a guy who has a neighbor, a friend, and this guy has somebody come over to spend the night at his house unexpected. Hospitality was a big deal in the first century. So this guy shows up at his house. He doesn't have anything to feed him, so he goes and knocks on his friend's door. Right? His, by the way, friend's door. What does that mean? They weren't really tight. They were, it's kind of like you and I, like today, you're going to walk down the hall, you're going to see somebody when you're checking your kids out, you're going to go, hey, bro, hey, pal, hey, buddy, hey, sweetheart, what's up, dude? What does that mean? I don't know your first name. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Some of you are like, you've done that to me. Not one time. I know everybody's name in here, <laughs> bro, right, dude. Here's what he's saying. They weren't particularly tight. And, Jesus, and he goes and knocks on the door, and his wife's not dying. Okay, make sure you get this. This is life-threatening. His wife's not on the floor unconscious, right? She's not dying. This is more of, hey, man, you got some Pop-Tarts? Because I don't have any food for my, my guy who's come to Like, this isn't life-threatening. Like, you got any Pop-Tarts? Because I got a guy who's with me who spent the night I don't have food for. Brown sugar Pop-Tarts. Can I get a witness in the room, right? <laughs> no, no, we're fa fasting. After, after that, right? Brown sugar Pop-Tarts, if there's a pop this is, not, this is the deal, right? And the guy's like, no, nah, dude, I'm asleep. In fact, in that time, they lived on the first floor of this small little kind of mud hut house type thing. And they would have what we consider a loft where the family would all sleep together. They would live on the first floor, and they have what we consider this little loft where they put their mattresses at. There was no three-bed, two-bath, two-car garage. All the family slept together. How awful does that sound? That's what's happening. And this guy's like, dude, I'm not coming downstairs. My kids are asleep with me. I'm not getting everybody up because you don't have any Pop-Tarts. Look at what it says. This is so big. Yet, not because they were friends, but because of his impudence. What in the world does that mean? Because of his persistence. Because of his boldness. Because of his shamelessness. What does that mean? What does Jesus say? This guy finally got up and gave him what he asked for. He gave him the bread. He gave him the part. Not because they were friends. Because of his persistence. What is Jesus teaching? If the position of prayer is talk to God like you are loved by your heavenly father, the nature of prayer is simply this. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Don't stop praying. Pray always. Pray boldly. Pray desperately. The nature of prayer is a word called persistence. The position of prayer, you're loved by God just as you are. Pray to him like that. The nature of prayer is don't stop 
praying. It's not a genie in a bottle, ask a wish. It's a daily dependence. When you understand prayer through religious ritual, what happens is we go, oh, I prayed about that once. Oh, but I prayed about that. I did my duty. I said I would. I'm supposed to. That's religious ritual. When you understand prayer is relationship, it's about daily dependence. It's about daily dependence. And so Jesus, this is the part of the, the, the parable you know. Here's what he says. Look at it. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will not uh, find. Knock and it will be opened. We've heard that about prayer. Now ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks find. And to one who knocks, it will be open. Jesus is saying the very nature of prayer, church, is keep asking until you receive, keep seeking until you find, keep knocking until the door is open. Everybody lean in. Perhaps the reason you don't think your prayers change anything is because we give up too soon. Well, I prayed about it. Jesus is saying the nature of prayer is don't stop. Keep praying. Keep talking to God. What do you mean? Like, I don't need yesterday's courage for today's fears. I need fresh courage today. Church, don't stop praying. I don't need yesterday's patience for today's problem people. I need today's patience. None of you in that category. I need today's patience. What does that mean? Don't stop praying. The prayer you prayed yesterday for your prodigal son, for your prodigal spouse, for your prodigal child, that was a prayer you prayed yesterday. Today's a brand new day. Don't stop praying. Church, do you see it? He is saying the nature of prayer is not genie in a bottle or religious ritual. Oh, I prayed about it once. It's daily dependent. I didn't get my wish. He's saying keep at it. In fact, my friend J.D. Greer, I love what he says. God delights to share his power with those who are bold enough to bother him. Those who are bold enough to bother him. The position of prayer. Pray like a son or a daughter who's loved, a proud father who's proud of their child and wants to talk to him. The nature of prayer is persistence. That we don't stop. In fact, Jesus understands us better than we think. In Luke 18, you can turn there and look at this yourself. I'm going to summarize. He tells another parable that's basically the exact same type of parable, talking about the nature and persistence of prayer. He says, let me tell you about prayer. And he says, there's an unfair, unjust judge and a widow who's weak. A poor little helpless widow and an unfair, unjust judge. He says, this judge doesn't fear God. Is Jesus telling a story here? This judge doesn't fear God, nor does he care what man thinks about. This widow's weak's got nothing, but because of her persistence, because she wouldn't stop asking, this judge moves. So hang with me. Here's what Jesus is saying to all of us about the nature of prayer. If a neighbor who's not really a good friend moves because somebody won't stop knocking, and an unfair, unjust judge moves on behalf of a helpless widow because she won't stop asking, how much more will your heavenly Father who loves you move on your behalf? Don't stop asking. That is the nature of prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. It's not a genie in a bottle. 
Rub it, live in the right way, then it happens. It's daily dependence. It's daily communication. In fact, Jesus, he starts that whole parable, I just told you, a real quick version, about the unfair, unjust judge. Jesus begins the whole parable, and here's what he says in Luke chapter 18. He told them a story or a parable to the, fact of, to the effect they ought to always pray, pray always, pray boldly, pray desperately, keep on praying, and then here's what he says, and not lose heart. Jesus knows us better than we think, because here's what Jesus, look, Jesus is saying. He knows his people. It is, you can lose heart in prayer. What does it mean when you lose heart? Disappointed discouraged. When you get disappointed and discouraged in your life, what do you do? You disengage with somebody. You disengage with something. When you're disappointed with your team, you don't pull as hard. When they're not winning every game, you don't watch real closely. Right? While we're disappointed, we've lost heart. Jesus was saying it is possible, and he knew us very well, that we could lose heart in prayer. So let me say two things to you. Two practical reasons. Many people live right here. Many people I'm talking to right now in this room, going into this series, you are someone who isn't against prayer, but to describe you, if I could put words around it, you are somebody who's lost heart in prayer. Not against it. You will say it's powerful. You just don't do it a lot. What does that mean? You've disengaged. You've lost heart. Right? For whatever reason. There's two main practical things I find in our day and time why people lose heart in praying. One, I didn't put these in your notes, it's just me talking. Everything in our society wars against the very idea of prayer. We're a culture of busy, hurry, image, productivity. We're a culture of success, endless distraction, continual modes of self-betterment and self-enhancement. And in that culture, success, image, busy, hurry, nailing it, check it out. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm accomplishing. What happens then is Christians, prayer is seen as a last resort, not a first resource. We lose heart. Why? Because everything in our society Wars against this idea. Now, when those things are threatened, what do you mean? Success, image, comfort, happiness. When those are threatened, what do we do? Pray, because prayer is a last resort, not a first resource. When we got it handled, we go through the religious ritual, but we don't actually pray. He's talking. Man, this guy's talking. What do you mean? Paul Miller I think he's dead right when he says it like this. If you're not praying, you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need. And when those are threatened, then what do you do? Last resort, not first resource. Nobody's in trouble. Not getting on to anybody. I'm saying this is the very net. Why is prayer? He says it's easy to lose heart. What if you're, the whole society, like you think resting, man, no, 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 I can, I can slow down. When you laid down last night, you know what you went to bed? Scrolling your phone and you think that's resting. Like, do you know there's never been a civilization in human history that has been so stimulated in what they see all the time? And we don't know how to slow down. 
Right? It's like, I got to see, I got to see, I got to see. Like, when it shows your screen time, some of you are embarrassed by how much screen time. And I'm not talking about your kids, I'm talking about you adults. Right? We're so still. So the idea of praying and depending and asking, but here's what's up under all of it. Here's the second thing, and it goes right with the first. It is easy to lose heart in prayer because the devil hates prayer. The enemy hates it. Let me say this to everybody at Bethlehem Church across all of our campuses. The Satan is not intimidated of a big church. So we will fill this room up four times, three out of the four times this weekend, full. Thursday night, full. Our campus is full right now. I need everybody to hear me. Satan isn't going, ooh, I'm scared of Bethlehem because we're big, right? Well, I don't, I don't really like going to a big church. I, I like it because this place feels small. Well, we're fooling you, right? Because this is a lot of people, right? That's just the nature of it. Go in the parking lot. Here's what I'm saying. Satan's not intimidated of a big church. He's scared to death of a praying church, though. He is scared to death of a praying church. Church, if you feel resistance when you pray, it's because there's resistance when you pray. There's an enemy. He re he's real. right? You are praying to the God of victory. <laughs> you don't have victory on your own. That's what we believe. It's what we teach. You find victory in Christ. And when you're praying, you're praying to the God of victory. You are praying to the God of eternal power. Satan has temporary power. You are praying to the God who takes what the enemy means for evil and turns it for good. Satan hates prayer. Let me tell you what Satan doesn't hate, your success. He hates me because I'm successful, because I'm blessed. No, he doesn't. He hopes you're distracted in your success. And we fooled ourselves. He hates it when you pray. That's why we feel resistance when we pray. Right? Because there's an enemy. Church, lean in, press in. Parents, you can work your fanny off. That's also a Greek word, right? <laughs> fanny, F-A-N-N-Y, right? I-E, maybe two, I don't know. Whatever you want to spell it. Making sure your kids are successful. Making sure you set your kids up. That has way less power than the prayers you pray for. We got to believe that. Why don't we pray? We don't buy it. I go back to last week. We don't buy it. We control. We set up. We make their destiny. And the reality is there is power when we pray. So if you're like, man, prayer is hard, you better believe it. Because you got an enemy. And you got a culture that wars against everything, the idea of dependence. And here's the way I would say it real simply. If prayer were powerless, it'd be easy. Think about it like this. <laughs> If it were powerless, it'd be easy. There's a power, right? Don't lose heart. What are you saying, Pastor? Look at me, front to the back. If you stop praying, start praying. Don't lose heart, right? If you feel resistance in prayer, it's because there is resistance in prayer. Maybe you're on the right thing. And don't give up. Je what I'm trying to say, Jesus said the very nature of prayer is it's persistent. That's what he said. And he knows because it's persistent, you can lose heart. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying. And here's the last part. And this is very personal. There's a predicament of prayer. If the position of prayer is pray as a beloved son or daughter, 
The nature of prayer is it's persistence. You don't stop. We pray. Right? Daily. We talk to God in the car, at the house, when it's good, when it's hard, when we think we got it, and even though we don't got it, and when we need we pray. That's the, that's the invitation. We keep talking to God. But here's the predicament, and here's how I want to end it. The predicament of prayer, and why some of us have had a debate in your head this whole series as I've talked. Even some of you right now, you're running on a treadmill because you missed it, and you're about to go, wait a second, that guy's talking to me. I am talking to you. I hope that treadmill's good. I hope you tripped because you wasn't here. No, I'm kidding. I hope it's good. I'm kidding. I hope it's good. Somebody at Body Flex just tripped. It was because I said it. They're like, He's talking to me. I am talking to you, okay? But, pause, focus, Jason. Here's the deal. If you have ever, and I don't want you to hold your hand up because everybody holds their hand up. This is like you and me, and we're talking. If you have ever seen the power, have you ever experienced the power of an answered prayer? I want you to raise your hand. Just keep them up just for a second. Some of your hands not up. I love it. Thank you for being honest. (laughs) Okay. There's a power when prayer is answered, but here's the predicament. There's a silence when prayer goes unanswered. There's a slight, like, Garth Brooks wrote a cute song in the late 90s. I thank God for unanswered prayers. I'm glad he didn't end up with a girl that he saw at his high school football game. That's great. But can I say this? When prayer goes unanswered, there's a silence that's every bit as powerful as when that prayer is answered. And so I'm talking to some of you. I've experienced both the power of an answered prayer. And I'm not in the silence of unanswered, like silence of unanswered prayer. I prayed for him to change, and he hasn't changed. In fact, I prayed for them to change, and they went on to glory. I hope to glory. I don't know because they never changed. I prayed for that person to be healed, and they weren't. I've experienced both the, the prayers that have been answered and the power, but also the silence of unanswered prayer. And I'm talking to some that have listened to this whole series, and it's like, yeah, man, prayer, yeah. But there's a wound in your heart. Because you went and you prayed and you prayed and your family prayed and y'all prayed and nothing, it didn't happen. And you didn't quit on God and you didn't renounce your faith, but there was just a heaviness because when you needed it the most, it went silent. I've experienced both. A 17-year-old kid, my mom died after two years of cancer. This is 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and so cancer treatment's not near as down the road as it is now. And, and, and someone goes, oh, I know, Pastor. And I just want to say this and lean in. I've lost a parent too. Listen to me. Losing a parent at 30 years old, 40 year old, 50 year old, it is never easy. Losing a parent in your formative years, 15, 16, and 17, to cancer is trauma. So we're in a different spot, my friend. We all like going, oh, I've been, th- nah, we're different. Right? And so you want to, so that was a, in my life, <laughs> I did not know what I didn't know till I knew. So the gift of the pastor I served formerly under was he prayed in a way I didn't, and I didn't know why, and it's because I had a wound. I didn't know I had a wound because that wound had become hardened. We prayed persistently, we prayed believing. You name it, we prayed it. You, you bring all stripes and denominations, background, any type of prayer you want to pray, we did it all. Anointed with all, all of it. I 
And so there's this perplexity that I felt. And here's what I would say. What I would remind you is this. If you're looking for a time, and I'm saying this from a person who's experienced, where God's going to peel back the curtain and go, let me explain A, B, C, and D, and then you're going to be good and you're going to start back praying again and actually trusting God again, I'm telling you there's a really, really good chance that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But what the Lord did in me is he brought me back to a place of trust. And what I would say to you is, have you ever been disappointed or you ever been hurt by somebody? Like somebody let you down. Somebody said something, they didn't hold up their end. Son, daughter, mom, dad, husband, wife, you've been hurt, you've been disappointed because what they were supposed to do, they didn't do. And so there's a disappointment, like deep, not just forget the loaf of bread, like deep hurt. What I would say to you is what I had to learn. You're not going to heal that relationship from a distance and with silence. Well, once they do their part or what I think they should do, then maybe I'll stay. You're not just going to heal that relationship from distance and silence. You're going to have to take a step back in and re-engage. See, I thought in my mind because of my wound, I can talk about prayer. Yeah, I pray, but come on. I don't know how all this works. To me, it seems like you pray real hard and some things happen and then other things you don't pray about to happen. So it's all, I mean, I went through this whole thing. Like in my 20s, like as a follower of Jesus, like many of you, like the girl I prayed with Thursday night right here who works on the oncologist unit in children's health care, working with children with cancer. She goes, you were talking to me. So what I would say to you is you think you're punishing God because he didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted to. All you're doing is punishing yourself. All you're doing is punishing yourself. And my invitation to you as someone who's lived through it is take a step back in. Healing comes when I came back to the center of my faith. And what is the center of my faith? The center of my faith is not that I understand everything in this broken world. The center of my faith is I can trust Jesus. When I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. What does that mean? Paul says he's before all things. He's in all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul said Jesus is the invisible, or is the image of the invisible God. Here's what I would say as we close. Jesus has not revealed to us a God we perfectly understand, but he has revealed to us a God we can perfectly trust. How, Jason, look to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is he died a brutal death on your behalf. He suffered for you. It pl pain was inflicted that was yours on him. And church, what I would say to you is there's a God that Jesus Christ reveals to us that we can perfectly trust. Take a step back in. And so we're going to end our time praying. That's what we're going to do. You're not going to rush out of here. Right, your kid's not going anywhere. Don't worry, it won't be forever because another crowd coming. But we're going to turn this place into a house of prayer. And I want you to stand around this room, all over this room. We're just going to pray together. Prayer teams, I want you to go ahead and begin to make your way down front. I'm way down front in a second. Nobody leaving, nobody moving around. We're going to make this a holy moment. Do you pray as religious ritual? 
Or do you praise you have a real relationship? There's a song I was raised on. Some of you have never heard this song. Some of you may have. And this is a song that's come, I mean, just over and over through this series has rattled in my heart. The song goes something like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and sin to bear. What a privilege we have to carry everything to God in. Church, I want you to hear me. The enemy is not scared because we have a lot of people at this church. The enemy's terrified that God unleashes a revival and awakening because we won't stop praying. That's what scares him. That we actually be people that pray. Not just a pastor that prays, but people that pray. And so what we're going to do with your head bowed and eyes closed is we're going to end by just turning this place into prayer. We want to, some of you are going to be bold. It's a crowded room, but you have been praying for something persistently. We want to join you in that. I'm going to be standing down front with my prayer team. You're like, man, I have been praying for this person. I've been praying for this thing. I've been praying for this decision. I've been praying for this stronghold. I will, we want to join with you as the people of God in praying persistently. We're going to pray for you. Even right now, some of you need to step out, walk down across our campuses, walk down and say, just pray for me. Everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. Like I'm in the middle of the road. They'll move. Listen, we have to be comfortable. We, it's crazy. We're comfortable getting painted up and yelling at a football game, but moving when we're actually called to move and pray, we're uncomfortable with. That's super weird. All right, where have we come? So we're going to pray. Pray here. Some of you are like, Jason, you were talking at the end. That's me. There's been a distance. I'll be down here. I'd love to pray for you. I've walked through what you're walking through. Some of you, whatever it is, we're just going to turn this place. We're going to sing the song together, all of us. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you in this time that we would be a people who pray.